Do you know who you are? I mean, no, really, who you truly are. I heard Neil Anderson, he is the founder of Freedom in Christ Ministries, say one time, most people spend a lifetime trying to become what they already are. And I thought, you know, he's on to something there. And I believe that by the end of today's message and our time together, you will understand better what he means by that and hopefully a much deeper understanding of who God says you are and why that is so important. So with that said, let's dive into our text today. I'm going to read two brief passages of Scripture. The first one is from John's Gospel, chapter 1. It must have been a weird moment for John the Baptist. He was the second cousin of Jesus. And as he looked up to see Jesus coming toward him to be baptized, I pick it up here in John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of of God. And then let's go to that other passage. It's Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. I'm going to read just two verses here, starting in verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. What an incredible moment this must have been. By the way, it's one of those rare occasions in scripture, there aren't a lot of these, where each member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, are each operating together in the same context, but in different roles. The Son here is being baptized in water. The Father is speaking in an audible voice from heaven, and the Spirit, the Spirit is also involved, coming down in the physical form of a dove and descending on Jesus. Again, what an amazing moment that must have been. But I want to focus primarily today on this statement of identity, this statement of approval from the Heavenly Father, 
made about his son, where he said here, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, I've, I've come to believe that knowing who you are, who you really are, who God says you are, is really critical to a flourishing life. I can tell you from experience that not knowing who I was in Christ for a long time, and then after finally learning a little bit about that, having trouble really accepting it and embracing it, it caused me more trouble than you would believe. Now, I'll bet this has happened to some of you as well. So let me tell you now a little bit of my story, and I'm going to take several minutes to do that, just a little slice of my own personal history. I grew up with two parents who loved me, and they were there in the home. There were very few times when my parents were absent physically at all. But in spite of the fact that they were present there, I never really felt the acceptance and the approval of my parents, if you know what I mean. I particularly never felt the approval of my father. For instance, he never said things like, good job. Wow, you really did that well. I never got verbal affirmation from my father. I never remember ever getting a hug, like a physical hug from my dad. I also don't recall my dad ever saying, I love you, even though we spent hours together working side by side on the farm. Now, I'm not sharing this to get your pity, (laughs) trust me. I'm not even sharing it to get sympathy from you because I realize that many of you grew up in much the same way or in situations that were extremely dysfunctional and, and you were not only not affirmed, but you were downright abused in your family setting growing up. I understand that. I'm telling you this for a purpose. I'm telling you so that you will be able to better understand what I did to seek that well done that I never really heard. And also, I want to be crystal clear that what I'm sharing here is not a diss. It's not a diss. It's no disrespect toward my parents or any parents for that matter. I fully realize that this was just the way that many parents in my father's generation parented. You see, they were afraid of spoiling their kids, right? They were afraid that if they gave them too much affirmation, their kids would get a big head or they would, they would think more highly of themselves than they ought. In fact, I'm so confident that this is a pretty common thing from some of you, especially those of you who are a bit older. I'd love to see a show of hands, whatever your age, wherever you grew up, I'd love to see a show of hands at all of our locations if you, like one, like me, had at least one parent, maybe it was both, but you had at least one parent who was very reluctant to praise you or compliment you. Could I see your hands, please? Raise your hand high at every location. It's really a common thing, isn't it? It's the experience that clearly a lot of people have had. Thank you for that. And 
It affected me, to be honest. I would bring a report card home, usually mostly A's, and I would show it to my father. He would quickly kind of look up and down, glance it over, and literally return it without a single word. Not a single word of comment. Again, I think it's typical of many parents in that generation. They weren't trying to be discouraging. They just didn't want their kids to think more highly of themselves than they ought. So they held back the visible approval and the verbal affirmation. And so my story is that I parlayed that lack of affirmation and praise into overachievement and workaholism. I finished academically in the top 10 students in my graduating class in high school. And all through junior high and high school, I never missed a single day, not a single day of school. I was not absent ever for those six years. Now, admittedly, a part of the motivation wasn't because I just loved school so much, but what I really loved was basketball. And if you were absent from school that day, you couldn't practice that day. And if you didn't practice, you didn't play in the game. So I was highly motivated to attend. But I didn't miss a single day for six straight years. And speaking of basketball, when it came to basketball, I was maniacal in my commitment because I wanted to be the best that I could be. I got up at 5 to 5.30 every morning did a physical workout before breakfast, caught the school bus at 7 a.m., and since I didn't need the additional credits in my last two years of high school, the junior and senior years, I got special permission to go down to the gymnasium earlier for that final kind of period of the day before school was out, and I got permission to go ahead and be down there and start doing shooting drills, ball handling drills, agility drills on my own before regular basketball practice began. That's how motivated I was. And during the off season, I designed these grueling workouts for myself in the Tennessee sun. There's no way I was going to show up in the fall to basketball practice and not be in shape. And so I ran. I did all kinds of calisthenics. I lifted weights. It was unbelievable. In fact, some of my teammates started calling me, I kid you not, Mr. Dedication. They were doing it to tease me, I think, and get under my skin. But you know what? I didn't mind that moniker at all. I was actually kind of proud of it, to be honest. But my father never came to a single game to watch me play. Not one. Now, if I had had a competent psychologist around in those days and she probed deeply into my life, she would have seen immediately that this is probably pretty unhealthy here. This is not a kid who just has high goals and is working hard toward his dreams. No, this is a kid who's trying to earn something. Not just trophies, not, not just grades, but approval, big time approval. But what nobody really knew 
What I didn't even fully understand at that time is what I really wanted to hear was my father say, well done. I'm proud of you. I love you, and I'm so grateful that you are my son. But of course, those words never came. And so what did I do? I, I worked harder and harder in college. I ramped it up. I became a leader in virtually every sphere I entered. I became teacher's assistant for Dr. Robert Sheridan, in, uh, the Greek professor, New Testament professor. I was chosen to speak on campus at various student events, and that was an honor. I pushed and pushed to be the best. I could be the best leader, the best theology student, the most committed prayer warrior, the best preacher. And it all paid off to a degree. I I became the president of the Baptist Student Union, a very healthy ministry on campus, often with 300 students showing up on a Wednesday night. I received accolades and scholarships and praise from everyone except my father. And then I got that call. It was the night of November the 11th. I'll certainly never forget it. It was 1980. November 11, I just finished playing three hours of basketball over in the gym. And after showering, I went to hang out with some friends over in what was called Alumni Dorm, one of the men's dorms on campus. And somehow they tracked me down. They had tried for over an hour. And this is before the days, of course, of cell phones. And so the call came through in one of those hardwired hall phones. Every hall had one phone. (laughs) And uh, often there was a line of people waiting to talk on it. It was my family. And the message was shocking. Your father has passed away. What happened? Well, he, he worked all day, starting early in the day and worked and worked. And then a couple hours before dusk, he, before nightfall, he, he went hunting down in the woods, and, and he never came back. And so we took flashlights and lanterns, and we went, we'd gone searching for him in the darkness and, and finally discovered his body in the woods. We don't know for sure, but he seems to have had a massive heart attack. And that five-and-a-half-hour drive home in the middle of the night was not only long, but it was difficult. Once I was on the road, emotion wrecked me. It's honestly surprising that I could actually drive home that night because my emotion was so intense. But somewhere at the root of it, I believe, was a grief, a deep grief that I had never and now would never Hear my father's well done. And so here's my question to you all. When you've never heard a parent say, you are my child whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Who are you? After all. Now, wow. 
you guys didn't know you were going to be my therapist today, did you? (laughs) So maybe we need to stop right now just for a minute, okay, and let everybody breathe. So do that, would you? Just humor me. Go ahead and take a deep breath right now. And I just want to thank all of you for listening to my confession. Wow, I feel better but some of you are gonna be depressed for the whole week after listening to that, all right? Thank you so much for letting me just kind of unload my heart on you today. But it's not my intent to depress you. I tell you that story because I now believe this, that if I had really understood my heavenly Father's approval, the lack of approval from an earthly father wouldn't have mattered nearly so much. But my problem? You want to know my problem as a young man growing up? I didn't know who I really was. And without knowing who I really was, I was too attached, really, to the approval of others. You see, at his baptism, this passage that we read just a bit earlier, God the Father said to the Son, you are my Son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now think about that. This glimmering affirmation came before Jesus had endured the wilderness temptation. It came before he had walked on water. It came before he had assembled a band of disciples. It came before he had done a single miracle. And this glowing affirmation came before Jesus had swayed the massive crowds with his life-giving words or any of the other awesome things that we know about Jesus. What I'm suggesting to you is that all those amazing things that we know and love Jesus for, and by the way, those also came before he died on the cross for our sins, those words of affirmation. I'm suggesting to you that all the amazing things we know him for and love him for simply flowed naturally, naturally, organically, out of his position, out of his relationship as the beloved son of God. And here's the deal. I contend that a healthy Christian life works the same way. I hope, I hope, whoever you are today, that you are serving God out of a heart of gratitude and love for who he has already declared you to be. That's what I hope for you. I hope today that When you came to Christ, if you're a Christ follower, and you were declared forgiven and justified with no more condemnation on you, I hope after that you just spend the rest of your life like a P.S., saying, oh, by the way, Lord, just thank you for the privileged position in Christ that you've granted to me. I want to live the rest of my life as a P.S., saying, thank you. I am so grateful I hope that's the way you live. But that's not the way most people do it. If Neil Anderson is correct, most people spend a lifetime trying to become what they already are. 
So let me go back and ask you again, do you know who you are? Have you ever heard or felt the Father's affirmation? Hey, I've shared a bit of my story. I'm curious about yours. Do you know who you are? I didn't know who I was. Do you have a handle on that for yourself? You see, I'm convinced that one of the main challenges we have in living for Christ is that we just forget who we are. And when we forget our true identity, trust me, it's going to have some devastating consequences. So I'm going to go over here to this big screen that's on the platform, and I'm about to read some statements, and I would love it if you, at all of our locations, would just read these out loud together with me, okay? Now, these are some statements that God makes about you if you're a genuine Christ follower. I've only put a few of them. There are tons of these in the Bible, but for the sake of brevity, I've only chosen 12, okay? So do you think you can say these out loud with me? I, I'm, I'm confident that you can. Now, a, a, a little ground rule. We're not going to read the references, like if it's Matthew 5.13. We're not going to say Matthew 5.13. We're just going to read the declaration itself. But the reason I put the Bible references up there on these is that I want you to know we're not just making them up, okay? We didn't just make these up out of thin air. These are statements that come out of the teaching of Scripture this is who God says you are. And as you're going to see, each one of these begins with I am. Okay? So we're going to say them out loud together as they appear on the screens. And if you would do that with me, that would be awesome. Okay. Our first one is, let's say it out loud together, I am a child of God. Are you a child of God? That's what God declares about you. Next one, I am Christ's friend. Did you know Jesus called his disciples friends? And if you're a disciple of Jesus, he, he literally uses that endearing term for who he says you are. You are his friend. Next one, I am a temple of the living God. In other words, he dwells in you by his spirit. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The next one, I am chosen by Christ. Now, you're getting a little weak here, okay? So I want to ask you to get loud and proud and declare with me audibly so people around you can hear it and so the devil can hear it too. And some of you need that part because the devil is playing fits with you since you don't know who you really are. So let's say them really out loud together. Here we go. I am, I am the salt of the earth. Very good. Did you know you're the salt? God wants you to make a difference everywhere you go. The next one says, I am the light of the world. You're salt, you're light. Next one says, I am a new creation. Old things gone, new things come if you are in Christ. What about the next one? 
I am a saint. Now, some of you really had trouble saying that one because you kind of grew up believing that saints are all dead people, right, that are long ago and did spectacular things. But according to the Bible, all of God's true followers, all the people who are in Christ are actually called holy ones or saints. That's what the word means. Next one. I am a member of Christ's body. Next one. I am an enemy of the devil. Next statement. I am righteous and holy. You truly are because you're in Christ and you're, by his grace, you're growing in righteousness and holiness as well. Next. I am a citizen of heaven. Now, thank you for saying those with me and just declaring those out loud. But let me say it again. Every one of those things is true of you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you still listening to me? Listen, there is nothing you can do to make them more true than they already are. Not a single thing. If you lived an absolutely perfect life from now to the moment you die, those statements would not be any truer of you than they are right now because of your position in Christ. Bible is filled with statements like there that where God is declaring who we are and what he's created us to be. So, my practical advice is that you get your hands on a list like that. That's just a little teaser. That's just a little starter. There's so many more of these, and read them over and over until they sink into your soul and begin to transform you from the inside out. The more this truth gets on the inside of you, the more it will begin to affect your behavior on the outside. Now, I, I, I can kind of guess what some of you probably are thinking right now. In your mind, you're, you're pushing back a little bit and you're saying, yeah, Pastor Rex, yeah, 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 I, I get it. I, I know scripture says a lot of cool things about me and, and I know they're true because God can't lie. I get it, I get it, Pastor. But here's my problem, Pastor Rex. See, here's my problem. Just to be honest, I don't feel like these things are true of me. My emotions won't let me agree with what God says about me. Any of you ever been there? Yeah, that's a common problem. I, I experience that on a pretty regular basis with certain things that God has said or declared. My emotions don't catch up with what I really believe very quickly. My head agrees, but in my heart, I'm just not there yet. So in closing today, let me show you the scripture in the Bible that has helped me to bridge the gap between head and heart more than any other. It's a great passage, 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, especially verse 20. It, it, this, is, this is just amazing. And I've gone to this passage over and over again 
when my emotions weren't catching up to what I really believed was true. This then is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in, our, in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. And here's the line. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Ooh, I love that last part. Verse 20. For God is greater than our hearts. Right in there, emotions, feelings, you know, your particularly destructive feelings of condemnation. He's greater than all that, and he knows everything. And if the one who knows everything says he's crazy about, if the one who knows everything says all those things that we read about you, if he says those are true, that should trump any feelings to the contrary. So let's be very practical here and pointed. If the one who knows everything says you're forgiven, don't let your emotions lie to you and tell you that you're not, okay? Don't let your emotions lie to you. Why? Because he's greater than your emotions. He's greater than your heart, and he knows everything. If the one who knows everything says that you are chosen, listen, you're sitting in the back there who've got all these feelings of rejection from past bad relationships. Don't let those lie to you, those feelings. The devil might not have chosen you, but God did. He's greater than your heart, and he knows everything. And he says, you're mine. Don't let the father of lies rob you of that. If the one who knows everything says you're a beautiful new creation in Christ, don't let the mirror lie to you. Believe God because he's greater than your heart. He knows everything. If the one who knows everything says that your future is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter until the full light of day? Don't let the devil or your emotions lie to you and tell you that you're not going to amount to anything because God's greater than your heart and he knows everything. And here's the bottom line. When you discover who you really are in Christ, wow, it's like finding a fresh, spring of water in the desert. It's like, wow. And once you discover who you really are in Christ, let me just tell you, it's a game changer from then on. If you know who you really are in Christ, you can be fat or skinny, but you're somebody because you're God's beloved child. If you know who you are in Christ, you may be young or old, but you matter because you're God's beloved child. You may be rich or poor, but you matter. You're somebody because you're God's beloved child. You may be educated or uneducated, but you matter because you're God's beloved child. You may be popular or unpopular. You may be on the in crowd or the out crowd, but you matter because you're God's beloved child. You may be privileged or unprivileged, but you matter because you're God's beloved child. 
And if the God who created matter says you matter, you'd better believe it. That's who you are. It's true. Yeah. And I urge you to live every day with that glorious truth ringing in your ears. And for God's sake, don't spend your life trying to become what you already are in Christ. Hallelujah. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you that you've declared that when we are in the Son, when we're in Christ, when we are forgiven and our lives are in you, you've declared all these glorious things to be true of us. Help us to not spend a lifetime striving, thinking that we've got to, through our performance, earn all of those things when they're already ours positionally in you. Father, thank you that when we discover who you've made us, who you've declared us to be, it's so refreshing. It's like a spring in the desert. And I thank you that this church at all of our locations is just filled with lots and lots of brothers and sisters who've discovered who they are, and it's been a game changer for them. Their lives are literally lived on a different level because of what you say and who you say they are. So, Father, I pray for those that are hurting today and going through dark night of the soul and maybe desperation like I did for many years because I just didn't know who I was in Christ. And so I had to look for it through achievement and striving and workaholism and all kinds of other things. Let us get our approval from you first and foremost. Let us listen for the applause of heaven and live for an audience of one. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.